Well, Christmas is almost here. Some of you are excited, some of you are not so much. So you can always tell who's ready for Christmas. They got all their shopping done, you're ready. And you can always tell who's still scrambling around. Is anybody like a last minute person? Like you're a Christmas Eve at Walmart. Oh yeah, don't point them out, that's just mean. Like, yeah, that guy, yeah. <laughs> so the whole idea that we've been preparing for for the last few weeks is how do we prepare for the coming of Jesus? The first coming is what we're celebrating, but we also look forward to his second coming one day. And as we've been preparing, there's some things we've been doing. We've been talking about things like love and hope and peace. And today, and we definitely get to anchor in on what Miss Julie said, which is peace. Peace is one of those things I think we need more than anything right now in the world we live in. All of them are important, but peace seems to be one of those really important areas. I don't know about you, but uh, we were working on some equipment uh, for Mardella uh, to get them ready for their Christmas services. And I had to navigate to the north part of Salisbury, which I think should be just labeled as like the precursor to hell during Christmas. (laughs) Is anybody with me? It's like, and you would think being Christmas time, people would have a lighter heart and be nicer to each other. And they would be, y'all know, okay? And so I've never been told I was number one by so many people at one stint of driving to that part of town. And it just reminds me that it's a chaotic season. It's busy. It's full of parties. There's full of plays that you're taking your kids to. And it's like, as you're kind of just going around this whole thing, it gets so hard to not lose the real heart of Christmas, doesn't it? Other things that get you, anybody, I'm a Big Bang Theory. Anybody love Big Bang Theory? Does anybody understand that Sheldon, with his um, unique gifting, has a problem with gift giving? Do you all know what I'm talking about? Like if you give him something, he has to give you back an equivocancy of the gift. So if you've watched Big Bang, you know what I'm talking about. Well, we even have that in our own home. Like I, I have to make sure that I tell my wife, we said, we're not exchanging gifts this year. We're building memories. We're like, yay. And then I had to say, hey, by the way, I got you a couple stocking stuffers, which caused more anxiety and stress because she's like, now I gotta go out and get something for you. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay if you don't. But I knew if I didn't tell you, I'd be in super trouble when you opened it on Christmas morning. And then, yeah, so all this stuff adds up into what we would call a very chaotic season. I think about Israel right now and the chaotic season they're going through. I think about uh, the Palestinians and the chaotic moment they're going through. And we've looked to the Middle East so many times and said, wow, that's a place that I'm not sure we'll ever have peace in. And we are about to read something out of the book of Isaiah. And he was thinking, specifically about Israel and the struggle of peace in that area. And I think especially in this time of year, we need to think about what does peace look like and how is God's peace so different than the world's peace? Because we definitely do not have the peace that I think God wants us to have. So I'm gonna read this passage again, which Miss Julie already read out of Isaiah 9, 6. If you've got a Bible or you got a phone, mark it. I would encourage you to go back and read this word by word and almost make it maybe a one word prayer for you as you talk to God during the season. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for to us a child is born. This is Isaiah speaking to the people of Israel. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I was telling Jake before the service started, uh, one of the things I wanna do is I wanna read through the book of Isaiah over the Christmas break. You you may not know this, but scholars call the book of Isaiah the gospel of peace. Because in this book, Isaiah repeats the word peace 
eight different times. And y'all know if you've taken our class on how to grow and read the Bible, if something's repeated, it's important, right? So for him to repeat peace 28 times to this part of the world tells me that peace is an issue and it's an issue not just for them, it's an issue for us. There's people in this room, I guarantee you this year, this Christmas especially as it gets closer, you are still processing the loss of someone dear to you. And that tends to make it difficult to get to God's peace. There's people in this room, I guarantee that you're dealing with loneliness. This is one of the loneliest times of year for certain people. And, and, and depression goes up big time because of a loss of peace. Maybe your work is one of those things you're like, man, my work robs every drop of peace I've got. And you look at that, you're like, how do I find God's peace in the midst of that? Maybe it's school and the pressures of school for some of you that are students. And for a lot of us, I think a lot of people can relate to this one. It's fractured relationships within our family. Some very close to us and some that we would love to see restored. But man, we see no pathway forward with that person. They just came right into your mind when I said that. And that gives you such tension and a lack of peace. And here in this passage, we're told that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Why are we told that? And why is the world's peace so different than God's peace? So to help you there, you gotta go to the New Testament. So go to John, we're gonna look at chapter 14, 25 through 27, just a few verses. And I think that John captures this idea about peace and listening to the words of Jesus. And you're gonna see how different his peace is than the world. So starting with verse 25, chapter 14 of John, it says this. All this I've spoken while I was still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Interesting, these are the words of Jesus as he's trying to prepare his people, the people closest to him, and he knows they're gonna lack peace, especially when he's not visible to them anymore. And I just want us to focus in on that phrase, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives. So to understand peace, sometimes you gotta come from a negative perspective. So I wanna start from the negative perspective of what's the world's peace look like? When the world has peace, what's it look like? And the first thing is the world's peace is temporary. The world's peace is always temporary. Y'all know what the problem is with a vacation, right? <laughs> or an outing, right? Eventually, you got to go back home. Y'all know that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? The, the going home depression moment where you're getting on the plane or you're getting in the car and you've had a great vacation and you feel relieved and you finally got to relax. You finally got to read the book that you've been waiting to read. Nobody's called you. Your phone's been on silent. And then you come home, especially if you've been away and out of contact and you turn your phone on and blah, 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 blah. All the messages start coming through. All the emails start coming through. And the peace is gone. And then you say this phrase, you probably said this, I need a vacation from my vacation. Y'all know. So this is what I mean. That, that's this idea. It's temporary. We, we so need to, to vacate. We so need to have those times and moments of stillness and quietness and getting away. But the problem is many times we're looking to those to give us the peace that lasts beyond that. And it doesn't do it. Another place I've seen this is maybe if you've been around someone who's gone through a terminal illness. I'll never forget my mom going through a terminal illness and we had to bring her morphine all the time to help her with her pain. But even when we did that, it was only a temporary relief. And this is what we see in the world around us. We just talked about the Middle East. Can you remember a season of more than just a few decades where they've had peace? 
Peace for the world is what happens in between conflict. That's what they'll call peace. And it's temporary. And there's something just missing with that. There's something wrong with that. The second thing is the world's peace is partial, which is very similar to temporary, but it's only partial. Not only does it not span a long amount of time, but it doesn't quite get all the way there. I bet there's some of you in this room right now, because I've thought this myself, that you're waiting for World War III to drop. Are you ready for it? Like you're looking around, you're like, World War III is coming. We did World War I. We did the World War II thing. World War III is coming. And we think this way. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm not a prophet, okay? But here's what I know. We think this way because we know intuitively that it's temporary, that it's only in between conflict that we even think about this idea of peace, and it's only partial because the world is not the way the world's supposed to be. We had one of those weeks this week, maybe, maybe you've had one, where it's not even one thing that hits you, but it's like all the little things that stack on you at one time. You hear something from the doctor. You have a, a terse word with a family member. You go to the north end of Salisbury and want to strangle a human being, okay? And they start stacking up. And then for us, we had the whole thing of dealing with a dog. And if you've got, if you've got furry pets, you know that they're, we love them. And our dog this week, we had to remove his eye by going to Pets ER, which means now I'm going to have to mortgage my car to pay for his eye. But you all know what I'm saying. If you've ever gone to Pets ER, that's like another nightmare, right? But it's like when you look at those things, they start to stack on you. And you're like, where's the peace? This feels so partial. There's something missing. And it's not complete. And the third thing about the world's peace is it's based on fear. Really fear of loss. There's something that we're trying to hold on to, that we're grasping onto, whether it's a relationship or a job or a situation. And as we're trying to hold on to it, we have this fear that it's going to be lost. And if it's lost, then we'll lose our peace. I've met a bunch of people in my lifetime, and maybe you've been through this or you know someone in your family like this, but they, they've, they're very kind of push you away in relationships. Have you met someone like that? Like immediately they're guarded. They can't be themselves. They can't really reveal what's going on in their life because there's a part of them that they're just waiting for you to do what everyone else has already done, which is leave them. That's what's in, the, in, the, in this idea of fear of loss. And so we have this fear so in us that then it robs and steals our peace. I tell you the place I see this the most, and maybe it's because vocationally it's a hazard, but I see it in the church. When I try to work with churches that are like, man, we're, we've been dying, we're down to a little a holy few, you know, we're not sure what to do, can you come and help? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come and help. And what you realize very quickly as you talk to churches that are dying, dying churches, is what they fear the most is the loss of something, the loss of their fellowship the way it currently happens, the loss of their style of music and the way that they worship together, the loss of how their gathering is put together or how the polity of their church works. And everything around that church that paralyzes them and holds them down is the loss of something that they're just waiting for the shoe to drop and it robs their peace. And when I look at this, I realize what's really at the heart of this is such a lack of control and us wanting not to lose control of our life. And that's a big deal. And that's something that hits us hard. I think I realized this, some of you know I've been writing my book and as I was writing my book, I saw this over and over again in the life of people and the life of the church. We have this fear of losing something that really at the end of the day wasn't ours to begin with. You know what I mean? The church doesn't belong to us. 
I don't know if you knew this, maybe you're new to the Christian faith, but the church doesn't belong to the people. It doesn't belong to the pastor. It doesn't even belong to the leadership team. The church ultimately belongs to Jesus. It's his church. It's his bride. And yet we hold on to it like it's ours and like, man, it's not mine. It's his. And that's what we do in our lives. We hold on to things that really ultimately are out of our control and are not ours. And it creates a lack of peace. So come back to that phrase again, right? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So how does Jesus give that's so different when it comes to peace? Well, while the world is temporary, obviously Jesus' peace is everlasting. Jesus gives everlasting peace. I see this in verse 25 when he says, all this I've spoken while I'm still with you. He said, while I'm still with you, because he's gonna tell you later, he's the beginning, he's the end. You're gonna see in a second some verses I'll give you that Jesus precedes, as Miss Julia prayed, his birth, and he's still alive today in heaven. That's why he has an everlasting offering. No one in the world can say that, right? Everything with us has a beginning and it has an end. Jesus is the only one we can look to and say, no, no, there's no beginning and there's no end. So there's something about that peace that we need to latch onto. In John 5, 58, you can write this off to the side of your notes. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. The word he uses there literally is the same word that Moses understood as God. He says, before everything was, before Abraham was even here, I am. And it was such a powerful statement that people tried to stone him for it because he's everlasting. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That means he precedes the moment he came in the babe. Everlasting. Isaiah 9, 7, to come out of that same book, says this. You can write this all aside again. You can study it later. Of the increase of his government, peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with the justice and righteousness from the time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So as you read about Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you realize he's everlasting. And so therefore, he offers a peace that's so different than the world's peace. Look at some of these passages that came to my mind as I was just thinking about this out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth is what? Been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely what? I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Do you see his everlastingness and how different that is? Now, one of the things that may be a problem with us, and we'll get to this in a second, is he, he taught this to people that were on mission with him. And I think some of us like peace because we're on a different mission. We're on our mission. We're on someone else's mission. Maybe even on the church's mission. But we're not on Jesus's mission. And that's where you find this kind of peace. I love this out of Psalm 34. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, right? He saved those who are crushed in spirit. For those of you especially that are dealing with grief, I love that passage. You know, when I first got to Grace, some of you will remember there was a tradition that was here on the altar. Uh, the church is a fine tradition. There's nothing wrong with the tradition, but people would buy flowers in memory of someone who had passed. And then in the bulletin, it would say, flowers on the altar day in memory of so-and-so, which is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. It's awesome. But I just one day was praying about that. And I said, you know, the problem with flowers is they eventually die. But the word of God is eternal, just like Jesus. It'll, it'll outlast every single one of us in our lifetime. So what we started doing was we let people buy Bibles 
and put their, their, their relative's name in there and said, given in memory of. And that way, when we give away that Bible to someone who's first starting their journey in their Christian faith, they will forever not only remember that word, but they'll remember that person. To me, that's some way to connect the eternal aspect of who Jesus is. So where do you lack permanent peace right now? I just want you to think about that. Is it an area of a relationship, in the area of a job, that every time you come back to it, like this is the one thing that you just can't quite get over. It's the one thing that just kind of keeps coming back up and steals your peace. Because whatever that is, that's one of the places that Jesus wants to enter into in a very unique way. The second thing is where the world's peace is partial, Jesus' peace is complete. It's complete. I love this out of verse 26 where he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you what? Some things. Oh, did I misquote it? What's it say? Teach you what? All things. That's pretty stinking complete, okay? And it reminds you of everything I've said to you. Wow. So one of the keys is putting God's word in your mind, putting God's word in your heart. And then there's moments when you're lacking peace. He brings it up and into your mind. And as he does that, it changes everything. That's why we need to get into scripture, why we need to read scripture, why we need to do our devotions. Sometimes we do it out of religious devotion. That doesn't work. You want to get into God's word because you want God's word to get into you because when God's word gets into you, guess what comes to your mind in the most difficult moments of your life? His words and his words are worth hearing. I love this out of Colossians. Um, I, I picked this one because I think work is one of those areas where we really struggle with getting peace. But look at, if you struggle with getting peace at work, look what it says in Colossians 3, write this down, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. It's interesting how just changing who you think you work for might change your perspective on work. And that's connected to this. It's connected to the person of Jesus because in him, we can have completeness regardless of how our work is, regardless of the stress or the struggle. You know, the other place this comes into play is in relationships. I'll give you an example out of ours. It's intimate, but it's, it's a good one. So how many of y'all have been married for more than 15 years? Okay, good. So when I say, if you've been married for more than 15 or 20, okay, you kind of got those moments you're like, well, daggone, I didn't sign up for this. You had one of those yet? I signed up for this, but I didn't sign up for this, right? And that happens if you've been married long enough. If you've not gotten there, you're lying to yourself or you're living on a fabrication and you can come to me and we'll do some premarital or postmarital counseling, okay? Because it's gonna happen. And when I've gone through those moments in my life and my marriage, God revealed something to me that changed my, my whole perspective on this idea of marriage and the completeness of how he brings peace. Every time those moments have come up in my life, I've went, you know, Lord, if you'll just change Susan... We'll have a better marriage in peace. And as we talk and we pray and then I read his word, and I know all of you are saying, if you, if you, I know all of you are thinking the opposite, right? God help Susan, she's married to that guy, right? I know you're thinking that. I know, I know what I'm like, okay? But, but what I learned was in every situation where I complained about something or struggled with something in the marriage, I quickly realized it wasn't her. I quickly realized it was my perception or my reaction, and that God actually had given me the perfect spouse to carve out the character that he wanted in my life. 
And sometimes I didn't like it. You with me? I didn't like it. I'm like, God, in dealing with what she's going through, you're exposing inside of me something I don't like about myself. And he's like, yeah, and I'm about to bring completion to that. I'm about through the Holy Spirit, just like you saw in this, the Holy Spirit will teach you. And as he taught me to love my wife, not because she performed or did things, but just simply because he gifted her to me, my marriage got better. This is the same truth that applies to every relationship in your life, whether it's a work relationship, a marital relationship, or family relationship. There's that person that you go, man, I just think of them, and they irritate the living crap out of me, even bringing their name to my mind. And as soon as you think of that person, think about this. Maybe God put them in your life because he wants to complete something in you. And if you focus less on them and begin to focus more on what the Holy Spirit's doing in you, maybe, probably, and I would say most likely, your peace will come. Look at this in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who completes the work in us? He does. So if he's completing a work in us, that means all these things that are tensions around us, that rob our peace, more than likely are part of how he is bringing about this good work. So for those of you that you're stuck in a job right now, you're like, I hate this job. This job is horrible. My boss is a flipping idiot and lunatic. I mean, I can hear your mind right now. And you're like, oh, if that dude would just have a coronary, our company would be better. I mean, I, I know what your thoughts are because I've thought them. Okay? Maybe what's supposed to happen is God actually is wanting to complete a work in you and your faith that you might share that faith and thought with your boss. What would happen if your boss became a full-blown, born-again believer in Jesus? Would he or she treat people differently? Would they treat you differently? Would they think about their role as the boss different and not a role of position, but a role of blessing to others? You see what I'm saying? This has everything to do with what God's doing in you and so much less to do with what you think God's doing in other people. He wants to use your life. What about your neighbor? Some of you've got those neighbors. Wish Paul Tomaszewski was here because I could pick on him because he was the neighbor that used to get up and throw M80s out in the front yard to kill geese. And I would be like, the dude is waking me up in the morning. Now, you think it's bad when I text you, Bucky, have M80s thrown at your house, okay? And I'm like, Lord, why did you stick that neighbor next to me? And then it wasn't long before we started having a relationship. It started because he's married. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Is he there? Oh, no, that was Josh. Okay, he can't snuck in. But that dude, and even Miss Lisa, okay, Miss Lisa back there was like, he was going to come out one morning and shoot the geese with a shotgun. They were still pooping on his lawn because he was like, that's my lawn. I've worked on that lawn. I've put a lot of energy in that lawn. And she's like, do not shoot the, that geese in front of those children. And he's, and he's like telling our kids, turn around, turn around, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, God, why? Why did you put us next door to this guy? And then over time, we develop a relationship. And we start praying for one another. And we start loving each other. We start sharing our lives with them. And now they're one of, the, one of the closest friends in our lives. And they've come to faith. I got to redo the whole baptism. Just, I've watched their faith grow. And these are the kind of things that God's trying to do in your life. He wants you to focus on where you are in your faith and your relationship with him. And out of the outflow of that, you're going to see people's lives around you change. 
And that's gonna bring you peace because it's gonna put you back on mission with God. One of the areas that maybe you're struggling with is family. And I know for me with family, it's the hardest. It's the hardest. Because I feel like with family, I can tell them what I'm really thinking. Do y'all do the same thing? I'm like, I've earned the right, your blood, okay? I don't have to smooth anything over. I can just tell you when you're a moron and you can tell me. And it's so hard in that moment to think of them not as family, but to think of them as someone who also needs a relationship with Christ. And that God may be using my life to bridge that and maybe I've gotta be a little more like Jesus who's willing to die to what he thinks is owed to him so I might be able to offer something to my family and it might cost me something. It might cost me something dear, but in that moment, you will see God's peace transcend from you to then if you're patient enough, you pray enough, and you wait long enough. You know, one of the things that uh, for health for some of us, I know some of you are going through a health problem right now. Uh, during COVID, some of you may or may not know this, but when I got COVID the first time, okay, I don't know how many times I've gotten it now, okay, but when I got it the first time and it was like a big deal and everybody was like masking up and doing crazy stuff, um, it put me in the hospital for four days. I'll never forget my wife was concerned about, is this going to be my last moment on earth? It was funny because we had an associate pastor at the time, Pastor Bud Rager, and I called him up. I'm like, dude, I can't make it. I got this COVID thing. I'm in the hospital. And I was on my way in. And Susan's like, you did tell them to pray for you, right? I'm like, no, I figured they were doing that. And so she calls up John and she says, tell the church to pray for my husband. He's in the hospital. John went to Bud. He's like, I'm not sure. What he, I think he told you no, right? Yeah, yeah. And then John's like, I don't think so. The pastor said, pastor's wife said, pray. We're praying. I said, you'll be the one to face Susan's wrath. That's it. You'll be the one to face Susan's wrath. And so... But my wife knew better than I did that people praying for you and being there for you and standing in the gap for you is part of what brings you peace. And even in the hospital, I had peace because I knew one way or the other whether God took me through COVID and I died from it or I came out of the hospital, I win because of Jesus. This is the kind of peace he wants for us. And it's so different. It's a complete peace. And then the world is based on fear and loss. Well, Jesus's peace is courageous and it's inspiring. It's courageous, and it's inspiring. I love in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. That idea of not being afraid is this idea of courageousness. It's the idea of standing beyond something. You know, even during the crucifixion, if you looked at Jesus, as he's being crucified on a cross, as he's being murdered for his creation, he still has peace. I don't know if you've ever caught that. Let me give you some examples of that that you can go back and look at and maybe think about. During his crucifixion, he was offering peace to a lot of people. In John 19, we have this record of Jesus looking down from the cross and he sees his mom and he sees John and he says, hey, I realize my mom's going through something emotional right now. I know my, my disciple who finally returned, I got one that came back. This is hard on him. And he says, son, your mother, mother, your son. In other words, he didn't want to leave her without the relationship of support. He's offering peace in the midst of his own crucifixion. He doesn't stop there. In Luke 23, we've got recorded that he forgave those who crucified him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How do you offer peace in the middle of being crucified by your creation? That's, 
crazy kind of peace. It's courageous. It's inspiring. In the same chapter of Luke 23, he tells the insurrectionists, we know them as the thief on the cross, but they're really an insurrectionist. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, the guy's about to die. He has no hope. He's a criminal who's had uh, risen against Rome in insurrection. And Jesus says, hey, if you believe in me, you're going to be in paradise with me when we die. On the cross, when he's in his worst moment, he offers peace. This is how you know someone is steeped in the word and is steeped in their living relationship with Jesus. That's how you know. Because in the worst part of their life, they still have the opportunity to offer peace. My papa Dick, which is Susan's uh, grandfather, um, died of cancer quite a few years ago. And one of the things that surprised me was the first time as a believer that I got to see what I call a victorious death. I don't know if you've witnessed one yet. But you, you, I've seen some pretty horrible deaths as a chaplain. But his death was different. As I, as I walked in to see him often, I would say, how are you doing, Pop-Pop Dick? And I'm thinking, I'm there to encourage him and cheer him up because he's dying of cancer. He looked like a concentration camp victim. I mean, he's just wasting away outside. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, how can I encourage you and love you today? And I would say, how are you doing? What can I do for you? He says, oh, God is so good. I'll never forget, he would point to heaven, he'd say, he's so good. And then he told me, he says, you know what he sent me? He sent me a nurse that doesn't know Jesus. <laughs> he said, I've been sharing my faith with her, and, and I can't wait. She's almost there. She's going to come to Christ, and we're going to baptize that woman. He's on his deathbed, about to meet his Savior, and he's still doing ministry. He's still concerned for other people, and that's where the peace came from. That's where this kind of peace resides, because it's not something that you're holding on to you for you. It's something you're giving away. I'll never forget, I saw the same thing when Susan, who she had a great mentor named Miss Joan Forsey. Miss Joan, was, she was something else. She asked Miss Joan, Miss Joan, what's your ministry? She said, I'm a Titus II woman. If you've never read Titus II, it's where women that are older mentor the younger women. She's like, that's my ministry. And she invested in other women like crazy. And her cancer came back and we went to visit her. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, of course I'm okay. No matter what happens, I win. I'm good. This is the kind of peace that God wants in our life. And this is a courageous, inspiring, not partial and not temporary. And it's anchored in the person of Jesus. Look at what Jesus um, said. Oh, I, actually, look at what was recorded in Psalm 23, which most of you know, which is probably one of the most difficult circumstances that David was walking through. He said, even though I walk through the valley, what? I will what? For you are your rod and your comfort me. That's this picture. No matter what you go through, he's there. And I've seen this happen in my life in so many different ways. And I don't know your situation or your circumstance, but I so want this for you. I want this for you. When I went from being an engineer and having my salary cut in half to being a youth pastor, God showed up and delivered. He gave me peace in the middle of that. When we left a larger church to come to grace to see it revitalized, God showed up in the midst of that. He was there in every step of the way. When we launched Grace Mardell and people were like, are you out of your mind? Why would you do this? I had peace. Every time God has said, do this, step forward, get out there on the mission, respond by faith, he shows up and gives me peace. Right now we're looking for a children's director. And it's been tough, church family. You know, I'm not an HR guy, but I can tell you this, it'll never be a career path for me, okay? 40, 40 resumes have been reviewed. I'm like, good golly, this is torture. God, just give us the right person. But then as I pray over it and I talk to our team, we get peace. 
I don't know who that's going to be, but God's going to bring the right person at the right time. I know he is. So where is it for you? Here's my, my action for you this, this week, this Christmas. Would you open his peace and share it? Would you open his peace and share it? Here's the problem with our version of Christmas as Americans. We're excited to open a gift, but we're not always excited to share the gift. And the gift I want you to open is the gift of Christ in your life that he is going to change everything about your life. And because of that, he's given that to you to give away to someone else. I want you to so get that this Christmas. That salvation that has been purchased for you by Jesus, he loves you and he purchased it for you, but he didn't just purchase it for you. He purchased it and handed it to you so you could give it away to somebody else. That's the good news of who Jesus is. And I want to pray with you if you need to renew your faith or maybe you need to begin your faith in Christ that that's something you've struggled with. Because when you do that, you will sense his presence in your life and he will give you a peace that the Bible says surpasses our understanding. So if you're someone you've lacked peace, maybe because you've never put your faith in Christ or because you've struggled recently with your faith, that's what we need to do. And then once you have that peace, you need to be thinking about who are you going to give that away to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for each and every person here. They're here by design, whether we realize it or not. Father, we walked into church today not knowing what to expect, just knowing that Christmas is coming, and maybe we're just wanting to, to deal with something deep in our life, and we're not sure how. Thank you so much that Christ meets us wherever we are. Father, every single one of us, we're dealing with something. And it's beyond our ability, it's beyond our capacity, where sometimes it just cripples us when we think about this thing. And Christ has come to have victory over every area of our life. By faith, we need to latch on to what he's done. So Father, we take this moment, we ask you to look at our heart. Look within the core of who we really are. And whatever is bothering us the most or an area of sin that we've never dealt with, would you bring that to our mind? We want to give you a moment to just admit that sin back to you and say, this is what is the greatest struggle in my life right now. Would you do that? Just admit that back to him in your own quiet time. Lord Jesus, you entered the world as a babe to be able to see and experience every aspect of humanity, every hurt, every struggle that we experienced, you experienced. And yet you overcame because you are unique. Father, we are mere mortals, but you came as God in the flesh. And that gave you something unique to have victory over sin and life even victory over death. And so, Father, we put our hope in the person of Jesus alone, not in a church, an organization, a creed, but in Christ. That he has died for us and paid for our sin. And so, therefore, we have put all of our trust in him alone. And, Lord, we ask that he would come into our lives right now. 
He would change the very being of who we are, the motivation of why we live, the very heart and center of our lives. Then you would do that, not just for us, but so that we could fully experience salvation so we can give it away to other people that so need it. Father, we commit our lives to living for you, to reading your word, to daily prayer, knowing that you're gonna be teaching us all things through the Holy Spirit who we invite now to come in and change our lives. And all God's people said, amen.